This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Welcome back to the Organizational Health Advantage podcast. I'm your co-host, James Felton, and I'm joined as always with my good friend and colleague, Keith Hadley. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, James. I'm excited, James, to be here with Paul Stancic, who is a partner at Parker Gale, based in Chicago, works with companies all over the world. Paul, we're really looking forward to getting to know you, but just a little bit of background. Paul started his career at Bain. I'm not sure if you started there. You probably started in the Major League Lacrosse League. Oh, boy. <laughs> Going oh, way back. Yes. But you've had yes. a storied career, and you've been an absolute joy to work with and to partner with with some really cool companies, and very few people understand org health as well as you. And so we're just excited to finally get you on this podcast. So, Paul, welcome. Well, thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me and appreciate the kind words right off the bat, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, Paul, we wanted to bring you on here because... We've worked with you. We've talked with you a bunch about Org Health, but of course, we've worked with some of the companies in your portfolio and Parker Gale's portfolio. And we wanted to pick your brain as not a table group person, but as somebody who knows the material and also someone who is coaching a bunch of leaders and helping them drive culture and drive strategy and hire people in their organization. We feel like you've got a great perspective on this work. Yeah. Well, I feel lucky to be able to do it with you guys and that it's part of my mandate at Parker Gale. And one of the things that makes it useful for us and makes it so enjoyable is our entire firm is committed to this stuff, right? And we talk about it a lot when we assess executives. We talk about it a lot going into and coming out of board meetings. And we look for the evidence of it when things are going well and when they're not going so well. So I'm sure we'll talk about that. But this is very much woven into our approach to value creation inside the portfolio and woven into how I think about what makes a good management team and a good business. Yeah. Awesome. Just really quick on that. I know it takes a lot of people to get excited and passionate about something, but my perspective is that, Paul, early on, you were one of the ones to bring some of the key org health principles to Parker Gale. Obviously, you found a common cause with others, but just tell us a little bit about that experience, that journey of bringing some of these ideas to light. Yeah, it actually started during my last chapter at Bain & Company, like close to 10 years ago. So through a mix of networking and serendipity, I got paired up with a very senior partner at Bain who was trying to start the leadership practice. So Bain had a lot of products and a lot of people who were deployed against these big, hairy problems in strategy and merger integration and performance improvement. But we kept noticing as an organization that when the senior team wasn't on the same page and when their organization didn't know where they were headed and that fabric connecting the two wasn't knit together, you know, wouldn't you know it, the consulting engagement doesn't go as well and the company doesn't perform as well. So in building that practice and in building that product, which is still a part of Bain, I did a lot of research and I read a lot of stuff about people who claim to know 
what it takes to come up with a good management team and what it takes to get a company on the right track. And, you know, Pat's stuff just stood out above everything else that I came into contact with. And I'm not afraid to say we stole from it on many levels when we started to put together our own approach, not only in how we talked about it, but in where we would guide our management teams during our engagement. So the work that you guys do and the work that Pat's put together is all over products that I've built in the past at other organizations. And so I kind of knew when I came to Parker Gale that one, I would love to get a chance to work with you guys directly. And two, I've seen the transformative power of when a team ups their organizational health score, right? Because that's what our product was really all about when I put this together at Bain. So yeah, I mean, it was coming in, kind of seeing it work in a different set and setting, knowing that part of my job was to help bring our executive teams together and, you know, saying, hey, help us find some partners that can help us do that. And luckily here you guys are. Yeah. One of, one of the other consultants that you've gotten to know really well, Bill Weingartner, uh, he and I were together recently and he said that everybody wants, you know, a complex solution that's easy to implement, but that those just rarely work. And instead what works is something simple that uh, as simple as it is, it's probably kind of hard to implement. And I I feel like, (laughs) yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And, you know, one of the things that we would talk about a lot in our work with, Bain clients was like the inward and the forward looking elements of leadership. Yeah. Right. And the inward is all about what the team behaves like and how they interact, regardless of where the company is heading. And the forward is having the vector. We're going this way, not that way and getting everyone else to come along. And, you know, Pat's work, I think captures both of those elements of leadership, the inward and the forward elements better than anything I've read or come in contact with or, or sought out. And I've seen a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found it really ironic, Paul, that, um, that your intuition while at Bain was very similar to Pat's when he was at Bain. Yeah. And like the idea that the, the, the lack of trust or maybe even dysfunction on the executive team really skewed the execution that they could pull off on their strategy you know, and really affected it negatively. And and it's kind of funny that you both were at the same company um, at different times with the same intuition. Yeah. I think it's, it's anybody who spent time around a bunch of different teams. And I think we'll talk about this kind of measuring whether org health is in place and kind of how it fits into how you think about value creation, but you kind of know when it's there and you know, when it's not there. Right. And you can't help, but ask yourself, there's that team that kind of hasn't gotten it. And there's that team that's really nailing it, whatever it is. And how do you build a bridge between those two states of the world or those two types of teams? Like, I think that's a problem worth spending your career on. And it's something I think a lot about. And it's something you guys have helped me build my own toolkit and build the toolkit inside our portfolio in a way that just wasn't there a couple of years before. So I thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, I've always uh, respected your ability to um, just to capture the essence of things very, very simply. Uh, So I'm just curious when when you're talking to maybe a a potential CEO that's going to join a portfolio company or you're talking to a potential portfolio company that you want to invest in. How how do you describe org health and both what goes into it and what what the benefits are? 
I will usually start by just asking them about the rhythm that they use to run their business. So that's kind of a combination of, you know, if I was trying to sell a consulting case and price it for a lot of money, I would call it operating model. So it sounds expensive, but it's a mix of, <laughs> it's a mix of the meetings and Did the KPIs. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a mix of kind of all the stuff that you use as a manager. It's how, when, and where you get together as a team to check in on the business and make sure people are all going in the right way. So what I don't do is start with, Hey, we, you know, do it this way and you're going to do it this way. And that's cool. Right. Um, even though that would work for a lot of folks, because you guys have a great reputation. I usually start by asking them, just talk to me about the rhythm that you use to run your business. And ultimately the components of that rhythm are very similar to the things that you guys teach and that we work on together, right? It's the time that the management team comes together to talk about what matters most. It's the way you tell whether things are on track or off track. It's the way that you remind the rest of the people in the organization where you're headed and how you're going to get there. And it's the way that you build all this stuff into all of the business systems that make a company go. And usually what people will tell me is they have some strong but still moldable opinions about what they want that rhythm to look like. And that's when I'll kind of swoop in and say, you know, I, I think I got something that you're really going to love. And about half the time, they already know all about you know, the work that you guys do and, and the advantage and all that. And the other half, the nice thing is I can point them to five or six CEOs that have gone through this uh, with various levels of skepticism and who are now almost to a person, big time promoters of both the process and the content behind it. So, you know, I'm a recovering sales guy. I'm not totally recovered. Uh, I do have to sell this as part of our value creation plan. But the nice thing is it's a pretty easy product to sell, both because it's worked for us before and just, you know, it's something that everyone wants to get to. Yeah, that's awesome. We, you know, Keith and I have had the pleasure of working with three of your CEOs and within your portfolio, um, Todd Douchy, Len Finkel, and I'm forgetting the third, you worked with the third, Keith. Uh, Rick, Rick Noble. Yep. I mean, these are, yeah. these are just three guys we wanted to talk about today. We've worked with a, a lot of the portfolio. But yeah. yeah, let's talk about these guys. Well, how would you describe um, their leadership, their utilization of org health, and maybe the ROI it's had on on their companies? The You're springing this one on me, but the words that come to mind are all three of them were committed to the craft of org health. And what I mean by that is they came into the process open-minded willing as people who have had 20, 30, 40 year careers running companies to ask some questions about their leadership style, how they interacted with their management teams and whether there might be a better way. And coming out of it, they did all the little unsexy moves that make this stuff really hum. So like, yeah, coming together as a team and doing the five dysfunctions assessment and figuring out if you've got trust and can do conflict, that's great answering the questions, creating the clarity, deciding what your rallying cry is, that's great. Uh, the teams that have really used this to inflect and the CEOs who are really committed to the craft of building org health, I think that's all done in discipline three and four, over communication reinforcement, right? Mm -hmm. And there's so much of that that is informal, 
it's in these little everyday moments where you can kind of choose to remind people of this is where we're headed. This is how we're going to get there. And this is what it's going to take. And it's doing all the little annoying, repetitive work of every time you hire someone, every time you reward someone, every time you manage someone, every time you think about your human systems, you're okay taking your swivel chair and turning it back towards that clarity that you created and making sure it's all in sync. Yeah. And I yeah. think, I think Todd and Len and Rick, like they just bought into it and you can see that whether you're on the management team or further down in the organization, but more important, like they did the work to finish the last 10% of what this takes, which is very tactical, very everyday, very informal but when you compound it on top of itself, it makes a huge difference, especially when yeah. you get to a company of 100 or 200 people and your frontline employees are a few layers away from the CEO. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that you talked about that disciplines three and four, because as I was thinking about these leaders, none of them stepped into a, a, a fully baked discipline one and two. Each of them had to go through a lot of a lot of hard work with their teams to create team cohesion, which is discipline one. Yep. Uh, all of them were stepping into challenging market settings where they had to get really clear about what they did, why they did it, what their values were, how they were going to succeed, what was their top focus, and then the ability to kind of stay focused on the right things. But, but it's, you know, that's not, you can't stop there. You know, having a cohesive team that's clear is a great start to then go into the things that you just talked about that they were able to really master, which is the over-communicating, the reinforcing. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful things that you can do to reinforce all of the stuff that you guys teach and all the elements of organizational health is like, oftentimes we think about the reinforcement thing is the HR for the whole company processes, right? It's how you hire, it's how you performance manage, it's how you promote but it really starts with the management team, right? Mm -hmm. And if you create this clarity about how you behave and how you're going to be successful and what it's going to take and how you want that management team to interact with each other and you tolerate someone that isn't quite on board with it or might even be kind of an arms cross skeptic of it, you're only as good as that most skeptical person on your management mm -hmm. team. And I think the thing that, that Todd and Len and Rick did is they looked at their management team through the lens of org health and they had a couple epiphanies about, you know, people who were, who were good managers, people who were good people, but just weren't the right fit given where they were trying to take the company. Right. Yeah. And I think it's one thing to go to an offsite and put some words on a flip chart and come back to the organization and talk about that. You know, that doesn't take a lot of commitment. What takes commitment is really buying into what you put down and what you decide and then evaluating the leaders of your company against those standards and not being afraid to make hard decisions. So yeah. when I think about those three CEOs, the thing that kind of warms me up and, and lights me up is how committed they were. But it was also about how they used that clarity to make decisions about who they were going to bring along for the ride. And ultimately, you are the management team that you put together. And those are three pretty darn good management teams that they put together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. You, you know, I love, um, I love what you said there because you included like, these are good people that, that, that are on the executive team 
but just might not be the right fit, even at that moment, you know, like they might be a good fit now. And then a year from now might not be. And I think that was one of the things that, that really impressed me about Todd was he cared for people in the way that like they parted ways and helping them and supporting them and things like that. But other, other leaders might care for them by leaving them on the team 100%. even when they're no longer a good fit. And, uh, and it takes that courage to be able to do the right thing and then treat the person well, you know, when making a change. Yeah. yeah. I think when yeah. you, when you don't make that move, uh, I think Kim Scott, who wrote Radical Candor, would call that ruinous empathy, mm. right? Like yes. You, yes. you're, you're kind of hamstringing that person by not making the move that you both know probably needs to be made. Because in most situations, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of rerunning the tape in my head here. Those people have all gone on to do great things and find teams that were better fits for them. Um, yeah. yeah. And I give, I give our leaders credit for, like you said, James, doing that making that move, but doing it, you know, kind of with some love, which is not an easy thing to do. Yes. Yeah. On that point, I love Paul that you said they're kind of hamstringing that person by keeping them there. Of course, people would think they're kind of hamstringing the team by keeping somebody who's no longer a good fit, but they're, they really are hamstringing that person as well. And shortening the timeline of when this person might be able to find a, a new career, a new job somewhere else. And, and yeah, I, I love what you said there. Go ahead, Keith. Yeah, Sorry about that. Yeah. I, I was thinking, you know, while we, we can reflect on, on some of the changes they had to make to make to the executive team in, in many cases, it was just changing the expectations of behavior and, oh, yeah. and, and then developing and calling their current people. I think of how many people are on those teams that were there from the beginning but are yeah. greatly developed, greatly advanced from where they were when they first started working with these leaders. Yeah. And yeah. and look, I think Len and Todd and Rick all did an amazing job of raising the bar, but giving people the resources and the encouragement they need to meet it. Right. Yeah. And when yeah. I think about my role as an operating partner, like I always try to strike this balance between being supportive and demanding. Right. Yeah. And part of yeah. part of the value creation at private equity is like, hey, we turn the heat up a little bit and we turn the rigor up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think where our industry gets a bad name and where executives in general get a bad name is when you raise the bar without giving people what they need to meet it. Right. Um, those guys all did an amazing job at keeping that teeter totter right on balanced as that yeah. bar got raised. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Paul, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit. Uh, you know, your, your career took a pretty big, um, not, not a big, but a a pivot, an intentional pivot where you really started supporting your portfolio on the go to go to market side. And I'm just curious, I would just love to hear some of your lessons learned, uh, some of your observations on helping companies that are healthy, get healthier, through the lens of go to market. Yeah, it's I mean, it's the same stuff, right? I I, I think I you're what you're referring to is when I started at Parker Gale five years ago, I was heading up the talent practice. And as a recovering sales guy, I would just get dragged into opportunities to help the sales and marketing team get a little more dangerous. And I enjoyed that. And I kind of look at the the world through the lens of someone who earlier in my career had to show up with a, basically a phone and a machete and figure out how to get people to talk to me and buy stuff from me. 
and and fortunately or unfortunately, our companies when we when we get involved, they they don't have a lot more than than what I had, right? So I'm very familiar with what that situation feels like. And I've built teams out of that situation. So I won't say I, I know what it takes, but I've been in those shoes. And so I think I have the empathy to be effective. When I think about the intersection of org health and go-to-market, I actually think it's it's discipline one where you can spend a lot of time and make a lot of difference. Um. Because if you don't have the trust in that team to be able to call balls and strikes and to set yourself up to be able to call balls and strikes, to answer questions like, hey, guys, let's get real. Are we actually going to hit the quarter? Is our sales team actually going to perform? Are we actually creating enough new opportunities? Are we actually getting a return on all this money we're spending in sales and marketing? Are we actually going to use this ICP that everybody says we use, but it's just something that's sitting on the shelf? Like there may be no more important place inside of a business where you need to get real than in sales and marketing, because, you know, I'm a salesperson. We like to tell stories. We like to get fluffy. We, we kind of shy away from the objectivity that a really healthy team is built on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I say all that because a lot of the work that I do with our sales and marketing team, marketing teams is just to simplify things and to pick a couple of mechanisms and a couple of numbers that help us pass the test of, hey, we trust each other enough to decide how we're going to measure our progress and we're going to call balls and strikes on each other and we're not going to be afraid to say this is red, this is behind, and then argue about what the most effective measure will be. And sometimes that's who we call. And sometimes that's what we say. And sometimes it's how many we need in terms of deals or opportunities or all that. But the place that is lacking the most in terms of trust and the objectivity that can come from trust inside of the businesses that we work with, it's usually sales and marketing. And that's not Mm -hmm. these people's fault. It's just a function of how the business has been run to this point. So ultimately, like there's there's a guy that I really like named Nico Connor who started a consulting business and he wrote this really interesting article um, called The Most Important Color in Management is Red. And <laughs> you need to be able to pass what's called the red test, which is not only like being able to say the things that are red when they are red and being truthful yeah. about that. But yeah. like building a system that automatically surfaces the things that are red. So yeah. you don't have to stick your neck out as a member of that management team and wonder if you're going to take a hit as a result. So that's a very philosophical question to a very like, I don't know, business systems function, like go to market. But that is how I think about my job. Like I help yeah. our companies get focused on what they need to do. And then I help them pass the red test about when it's working and when it's not. And at its best, I can I can move away and they still pass that test when I'm not in the room. But yeah. it's hard. It takes a while, but it's very much in keeping with those ideas of what makes a healthy team and what the five dysfunctions look like when you're not quite a healthy enough team. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that that's good. I, I recently had an experience with a, a fairly early stage uh, startup that... Um, 
you know, every every quarter they were all green and all their metrics all green, all we're green, it, all guys. green. We're killing it. We're killing it until like the last two weeks, and then it's like this flurry of activity because we're so far behind. And then the next quarter, the same pattern, and we just three quarters in a row we were seeing this pattern. We're like, what is happening? And that's exactly what you said. It's like we didn't have the trust or the courage early on in the quarter to say, you know, we we keep blowing smoke here. And, uh, and, you know, until we start dealing with reality, we're never going to make progress. And so, uh, you boil it down to trust, which is great. Yeah. There's, I think there's a quote that's like a lack of self-awareness is poison. Yeah. And the antidote is introspection and review. And if you don't trust each other as a team, all of these problems that make businesses better, they're too big for one person to work on. Right. And so you need trust so you can do that introspection. So you can do that review. So you can find the next thing that's in your way. But if you don't get vulnerable and you don't practice, you know, this thing, you're going to get in that moment where you wonder, should I bring this thing up? And you're going to shirk away from that moment and you're going to miss the chance to get better as a result. So that's my TED talk. But yeah, I think it's super important. I think when that does happen, when that reflection in an untrusting environment does happen, is after the deadline and you've missed your numbers. Yep. Yeah, totally. If we we trusted each other, we would have been doing this earlier so we could pivot or change and, and be able to hit our numbers. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And and as I look at, you know, we always look at those four disciplines and say, you know, it, both the root cause and the solution is probably baked in there, but it's like, did, did we not trust each other enough to have a real conversation or, or maybe let's go to discipline too. Maybe we just weren't clear enough, you know, maybe we just weren't clear. We, we answered some high level questions, never broke it into details. Maybe we were clear. We just didn't communicate it to the point where people actually believed us and then, what you're talking about now is, you know, we had, we had the reinforcement mechanism in place. Did we just not use it? You know, so, um, t- talk about, uh, talk about clarity a little bit, you know, the, the, the work you do to help, uh, portfolio companies get clear about their strategy, about their differentiators. How, what have you learned along the way there? Um, there's a lot to do in any new investment of ours. Right. A lot of the time we're bringing a new CEO. A lot of the time we're bringing new members of the management team. Um, we're at our best in diligence when we get excited as a group, like our investor group and the management team, about what we're going to go and fix together. But the problem is that is a very long list. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and part of the art of putting together a value creation plan is taking stances and kind of sequencing that list and being okay with leaving some things for a little bit later on. Right. Um, so when I think about clarity, I I mean, yeah, it's, it's really important to decide like kind of the more purposeful elements of clarity. Like what, why are we here? What do we do? What business are we in? Um, the thing that is most impactful for our companies is aligning on a rallying cry and pushing our companies to avoid the rallying cry that sounds like, let's go fix everything now. Um, <laughs> cause that, cause there's plenty, there's plenty of ingredients to go bake that cake. Right. Um, but you guys use a phrase that I have stolen and use quite a bit, which is Roma, right. Return on management attention. And there's an implicit assumption 
in that room that there's plenty of smart people to go tackle any problem that this business has. But the more you spread out that power, uh, the less useful it becomes. And so when I'm in the room with the team and working on the elements of clarity with you guys and answering those questions, you probably notice me jumping in and pushing the team to be more focused and leave some things off the page. When we get to that question, number five, what's most important right now? Because I think good strategy is about taking stances, good strategy is about hard choices. And the best hard choice you can make is to decide to focus on this instead of that. Hmm. Because chances are, if you do that, there's an old saying that's like the man who chases two rabbits catches neither, right? There's a lot of companies out there that are chasing two rabbits. Um, yeah. Is that an old saying, or did you just make that up? That's I think it's one. I think it's old, but if someone wants to footnote me, I'm I'm happy to get the SEO credit for it. Uh, it's old because he's been using it for ten years. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, <laughs> he made it up. But but I think my most important job uh, when I'm in the room, kind of being the the creepy private equity tag along for these offsites, is to jump in during that rallying cry, and to keep our companies from chasing two rabbits. Because I believe we put teams together that if they focus on one thing, they're going to get it done. And the biggest risk is not execution. It's distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you put me on to uh, a guy named Ravi Gupta and he, he says it's not prioritization until it hurts. Correct. Mm. Yeah. It's gotta be like, uh, you, you're sort of having a digestive issue because that other initiative doesn't make it onto the page. And that's yeah. when you know, you're probably onto something, but yeah, it's a little bit of a counterintuitive test until you see it work. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I'm, I've always been impressed how by being laser focused on one thing, it does have a halo effect shine on other things. But when you, yeah, when you try to do that rally cry of like let's do everything well, that's our rally cry. You yeah. know, then then yeah. everybody's focused on what's right in their own eyes, which means we're slightly out of focus. Yeah. And it also drives some good conversations further down in the organization, right? Like you're modeling focus and you're modeling prioritization. So I think when you do that, there's something that happens in the company, in the team that becomes less tolerant of the, Hey, I'm so busy. So I can't get anything done type person. So I don't know, like you're not only creating focus for your management team, you're building the muscle of focus for people that are working on things even if they're not directly related to that rallying cry, because they're looking upward, noticing the management team focusing on one singular issue and saying like, Hey, maybe it's okay for me to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Paul, when you think about the, the companies that have really dialed this in for you and and for them and thus for Parker Gale, um, what would you say is like the ROI on this work? Like what's the, the, what's the return for them? What have you seen? You know, we get that question so often from potential clients. Um, yeah, just speak to that because you have a very different viewpoint than a lot of the people we work with on this. Yeah, everybody likes to talk about ROI. Um, I don't know. I, I've thought about this. When it comes to org health and this type of work, I think you can measure the stuff around it. Mm. Right. You can measure the stuff that's tangential to it. You can measure employee engagement. You can measure attrition. You can measure like, are people aware of and clear of the answers to the clarity questions? 
But those things are like, they're on the periphery of what we're actually talking about. And eventually all that measurement and all that talk about ROI, like I think it has to collapse into a kind of subjectivity. Like eventually you have to make a stance on like, is this making the business better? Um, yeah. So there's some litmus test questions, questions like, are we creating the results that we want? Are we hitting our numbers? Are we proud of how we show up and who we work with? Do the people who work for us know where we're going and how we're going to get there? And I think there's a, there's a, I'll get a little philosophical for a second, but there's a desire to take those questions and turn them into KPIs and measurements. But I actually think, especially if you're a member of a management team, they're better left as questions. Like they are better leaned on as sources of a kind of productive paranoia about whether you're continuing to reinforce and over-communicate this stuff. So I think the most important question is like, can the team get to a place where they're generating that paranoia from within like a self-generating mm -hmm. paranoia about, are we still on the right track? Are we still reminding people of where we're headed? Are we still reinforcing this enough and not from an outside force, like not from a consultant or a board member or an external managerial source. And that's what owning this means. So when I think about ROI and I think about KPIs and I think about measurement, like, I don't know, man, I just think it's the wrong question. Like the most important question is, does the team own this? And is the team yeah. thinking about owning this? And like, if there was a managerial Spotify station, do they have like a kind of track of org health at the very top of their like on repeat playlist? And it's just running at a low volume in the back of their head all day long. That's when the good stuff starts to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, there's an ROI. You can build a business case for this. You can track KPIs around it. But I think the most important question is like this stuff works. It helps build better businesses and you can notice it if you've been around it for long enough when the team makes it their own and when they, when they own it. And you know, the, the interesting thing about working with you guys is eventually for some of our businesses, we've had a conversation where you kind of say, like, look, they've, they've made this their own and they don't need this anymore. They're in a rhythm and yeah. they have taken complete responsibility to keep the level of health in this organization as high as it is today. And like, not that our work is done, but like this chapter is kind of over. And so let's move on. And that's a very proud moment for me because that's the test for yeah. me. Cause I trust you guys that the team has fully absorbed this and woven it into the fabric of how they run the company. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul, as you were starting down this path, I was thinking like, and if he doesn't say it, I'm going to ask about owning it. The company has to own it. Yeah. And we've had reverse conversations, Keith and I have, around a company that isn't owning it. Yeah. And we shouldn't continue to work with them. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not thinking about it in between offsites. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a KPI right there. Like, are you thinking about it between offsides? But ultimately, like <laughs> the most important questions about whether you are building a healthy organization, they are subjective and qualitative, not quantitative. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
Yeah. Sure. Oh, I think so. Because if you think of it, when a company does really, really well, it's because of the hard work of the people at that company. It's because they had a really good product that was positioned in the right way that met a market need that people valued. It's because they were focused on the right things. It's because they were, you know, more concerned about getting stuff done than getting, you know, accolades. And you just go down the list of things that are true of the leader, of the team, of the employees, and nobody can claim credit for that other than the people who did it. But then you just step back and say, okay, so what was the difference between that team and a team that was out of focus, that was fighting, that was self-focused? You know, And you're right. It's something that when it goes really, really well, nobody can claim it other than the people that did it. No. And that's the, the leader of the team and the employees. It's like they are the heroes. I think you talk about you know, the measurement bias. Like One of the reasons that it's hard for teams that yeah. are more skeptical about this yeah. is because there's a measurement bias and like there's a big thing in the business world you know, I'm probably culpable for some of this because I spent five years at Bain. Like you need to go beyond <laughs> pragmatism and into science, right? And I think yes. in a lot of situations, a lot of businesses and a lot of leaders and a lot of people could do a lot better if they just doubled down on pragmatism and didn't worry so far yeah. about making everything measurable to the second decimal point. Yeah. But yeah. when you try to measure the most important things in life, it sounds ridiculous. Like, yeah, I read this great book on parenting and it improved my fatherhood by 12.7. Yeah. No, wait, no, no 13%. And you're like, well, what does that even yeah. mean? You know, like yeah. I trust the neighbor on one side of my house, 25% more than the neighbor on the other side. It's like, no, that's ridiculous to talk that way. It's like the neighbor on one side has the key to my house and the neighbor on the other side doesn't, you know, that's pretty yeah. tangible. Yeah. I can't put that into a percentage. So yeah, just because it's not measurable doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And the most important things are probably not measurable anyways. Yeah. Hey, Paul, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We love talking to you and we're so glad you agreed to get on the podcast with us. You have a podcast of your own yes. and you do a lot of great writing. Love reading your articles. Oh my. Where can people find both your podcast and your articles? Yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So if people look me up there, I post plenty of stuff and I'm probably slightly over-promotional about that stuff on LinkedIn. So that's the easiest place to find me. By the way, I love that you do. I have shared your articles more than almost any other author than Pat yeah. Lencioni, of course, with my clients. You know, your stuff on over-communication, your stuff on go-to-market. I mean, it's yeah. you're a terrific writer. So yeah, where do we find Thank you? Thank you very much. So LinkedIn. it's on LinkedIn. It's on Substack. It's called Hello Operator. Like I try to write about the sort of playbooks and stories and experiences that exist between management teams and investors, because that's a very interesting space that I've chosen to kind of live my professional life in. And then, you know, one of the things I love about Parker Gale is one of our core values is we share what we know, mm -hmm. right? And we've been doing that since before the fund even started with the private equity fund cast, like several hundred episodes in the bag. We're not stopping anytime soon. So parkergale.com or anywhere you get your podcasts, right? But yeah, this was great, guys. I appreciate it. We kind of say the same thing and we tell the same joke every time we do an offsite together, which is that the agenda is there so we can laugh at it later. And I think we passed that test again today. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Very good. Exactly. Paul, awesome. really appreciate you being with us. Yeah, thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks, Paul. All right. That was so awesome. Thanks again to Paul Stancic at Parker Gale. Keith, great joining you again. And I look forward to our next conversation. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. 
For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.